Well, this week we had the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. James Jackson. Now, who's James Jackson, you ask? Well, he is the Red Bull mindset and performance coach. He talks to all these Red Bull athletes. He kind of breaks down what he says to these riders in these events. A lot of pros actually refer to him as the athlete whisperer because he's so good at getting in their heads before an event. We also talk about some of my personal favorite topics. We get into flow state, diet, off-season training, fundamentals. I basically got a free consultation from James in the booth. It was incredible. You talk about his diet. You know, we were eating some Wild Mike's pizza, and all we had to do was stack up a little bird seed for this guy, and he was good to go for the uh, <laughs> for the whole episode. Give him some bird seed, some green teas, all set. <laughs> But he really does talk about uh, how much work goes into being on top of the podium for these major athletes. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Episode 46, James Jackson. You are listening to the Bomb Hole. Bomb Hole Podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the Bomb Hole. going to slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice, burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We are back in the booth for the bomb hole. Now, the bomb hole is presented by Wild Mike's Pizza, Solomon, and Pub Beer. Now, Stony Buds, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good, my dog. Happy to hear that. Today, we are sitting down with Mr. James Jackson. What's happening, James? Uh, you know, I'm just, I feel honored to be here. I've been watching them all, and I feel like uh, it's a... Uh, Pretty awesome to be sitting in this chair talking to you guys. Well, we are certainly very happy to have you. Uh, for, for our listeners and viewers who are unfamiliar with what you do, uh, you are the Red Bull Mindset and Performance Coach. Now, for that, for people that don't know, you kind of are currently working with Scotty James a lot, the guy who's winning all the damn half-butt contests these days. And what does an average training day look like for you and Scotty? Like, can you paint a picture for that? Or yeah. I can definitely do that without giving too many things away. I mean, we, you know, we start out pretty early in the morning and Scotty, you know, he gets his coffee, does his deal. And then it's like, I mean, it, it, it takes what it takes, right? Like he just goes straight into like a full, like half hour, 45 minute, like kind of like warm up session in the house, whatever. And, you know, he's getting everything firing and going and stuff. And I feel like that's a huge thing to kind of like stave off like injury and whatever else. And then, uh, you know, we just kind of eventually head to the mountain after that, and we do a couple warm-up laps, whether it be, like, straight to the pipe, which, you know, we don't usually do, or do some, like, you know, runs around and see what's happening, and then we go and then we go into it. And then, so that day, you know, the day, of, like, when we get into it, you know, it's like a full, another warm-up, you know, like, we're spending probably a good 45 minutes, like, just kind of warming up, seeing what the pipe's doing, you know, what, what, how he's feeling and everything else, finding the good spots to actually like really kind of get into it. And then, you know, then he gets into it and then we get pretty serious about things, but usually there's a lot of joking going on and whatever else, but you know, it's usually with Scotty, it's, it's a good, it's usually no less than four hours of like straight riding, you know, he'll stop every once in a while and have a snack and some water or whatever, but it's like, it's a lot of riding. And then, you know, we go home and it's a full cool down session. And then usually he's got something else kind of worked into his schedule to kind of, you know, whether it be cross training or, you know, just meditation or yoga. And then usually we'll go, you know, like we'll go over the day's videos and stuff that I have on my iPad or whatever that I use. And, you know, and then we kind of close out the night. 
Interesting. Yeah, that uh, going over the footage, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Tom Brady and a lot of the students of the game uh, watching the, the game tape. I never yeah. thought about the fact that you guys just riding watch watch footage from that day every day. You know, I mean, he does a lot of it kind of at night. And then, we'll, you know, if he like sees something or we want to identify whatever, then we'll go over it. But honestly, the iPad, the reason why I started using that a while ago is because as a rider, like I was just like, what's the point of watching that stuff at night? Like by the time I get to process it and think about it the next day, I've probably forgotten half of it or whatever. So I use the iPad with that big screen so he can come down, do a run, do a trick or whatever it is. And we can go over it right there and be like, look, this is where you're doing really well or this are your shortcomings. Let's fix this now. And he'll go up and do it again, you know. And so it's that automatic like affirmation of what's going on that I feel like it makes a pretty big difference. Yeah, it's easy to explain what when some somebody's doing something wrong. If you can you can visually see yourself. Oh, yeah. I popped too early. But if you don't feel it, you know, the. The video seems like a huge component for that stuff. Yeah, and it seems, especially in action sports, that most the athletes, most the riders, most, you know, whatever, they're very visual learners, right? Like, you know, you have that, you know, you can talk to them till your face turns blue, and if you're not hitting the right note, then they'll just never get it. But being able to see things and, and being like, okay, here, this, and then put it in slow-mo and be like, look, this is what I'm telling you kind of thing usually works pretty well. So you'll film them most of the day, huh? I spend a lot of time with it. Um, you know, I make a point not to bring it out until, like, things are going, you know, because it's almost a cue for them to be like, oh, oh it's time to get serious. You yeah. Know? Like, whatever. But, but uh, I do, I spend quite a bit of time with it, and, uh, and it, it seems to help quite a bit. That's beautiful. Cool. Beautiful. Well, um, that's where you're at now. I kind of want to run back to kind of how you started. And I always thought you were from Bend. Turns out you're a, a Rado dog, correct? A Rado dog. Rado dog, yeah. I don't even know what that means. Well, <laughs> well we, me and Buds uh, tend to make fun of Colorado quite a bit. Oh, so Colorado. From, yeah, Colorado. It's, it's short for Colorado, yeah. You know what the term I love to use is uh, Colorado not so Rado. <laughs> so so true yeah that makes more sense to me yeah i was born in colorado springs fort carson army brat you know like i was a full army kid my dad was in the service for like seven years so i was born in colorado but i only spent like a year and a half of my life there so i obviously don't remember any of that and then it all came back to me years later where i was i made to be there all the time so yeah you probably spent a lot of time in colorado now in the contest circuit you know what has been a pretty proud factor of mine right now, and I'm, my fingers are crossed that it'll hold for the whole season, is I haven't had to go to Summit County yet this year. <laughs> and that's the first time probably in 15, maybe 18 years that I haven't had to go to Summit County. So I've been to Colorado a lot. I bet. I think as soon as you get out of this booth, you're probably going to need a call to go to Summit County. <laughs> yep. So you can bank on that. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so like you said earlier, you moved around to 14 different States or locations as a kid? Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of lends to my travel schedule now, but as a kid, you know, being born in Colorado and then moving to Montana, and then, you know, we moved to Idaho, Washington. I spent a little time in Minnesota. Like, we were kind of all over the place. So I lived in 14 different houses before I graduated high school. So a lot of people would be like, oh, I just never had any, like, base or anything like that. And it was it was great for me, and especially to prep for the lifestyle that I live right now, you know, like... I'm on the road all the time and I'm 
super comfortable with it. You know, I got a firm rule that if I'm somewhere for more than 24 hours, everything comes out of the bags and it gets hung up and put away and whatever else. And just kind of like you have to have those routines to kind of like keep focused. Yeah, give yourself a little bit of uh, stable ground in kind of unstable living circumstances. Yeah, for sure. And you've been on the road seven months now, so yeah, I guess you're just used to traveling. That's, you know what? And I know there are people that can identify with this, but I start to get I start to get a little antsy if I'm in one place for too long, you know. And even this year, we actually I've been in a couple places where we've been there for two months. Obviously, none of them at home, but I start to be like, All right, what are we doing? You know, like. Uh, we got to go. Let's do something, you know, so. Well, well, beautiful. Um, you know, a lot of people know you as the guy with talking to the athlete with the Red Bull helmet that's about to take a run during finals at X Games, right? That's probably, and, and I don't know if a lot of people know about your pro snowboard career. So I want to talk about that uh, and let the people know. Yeah, I mean... Even nowadays, pro is kind of a loose term, you know, like I definitely got paid to snowboard and, and I really had a lot of fun doing it. I was super psyched and I loved to be the guy that just went as big as I possibly could, whether it was in the pipe or the jumps or whatever else. And, you know, I just, uh, it was, it was really fun and I had a, had a really good time with it. And, but mostly I learned a lot, honestly, like probably I would say like halfway through my like pro career, I really realized that I, I wanted to just be a part of like bringing the next generation in with kind of the right values, you know, because I saw a lot of things going on that I wasn't super stoked on personally. And I'm like, well, how do, how can I have an impact on that? You know? And, and it definitely drove me through this line of like, you know, whatever it be coaching, mentoring or whatever, like, you know, and, and to me, I, I'm going to say it right now and have the opportunity. I'll probably say it again is like style is such a huge part of that for me, you know? And, and I saw a lot of it being lost, you know, as the kids were coming up, they were all just, everybody was spinning so much, but there was nothing to it. And I'm like, how do you even tell these kids apart? Like, I hate this. This is driving me nuts, you know? So like, that's a really big deal for me. Yeah, that's, uh, no, that's really cool um, to hear it explained like that in the world of 1800s and, and all that stuff. But um, going back, talking to Tonino when I was doing the due diligence He's like, oh, James was known for backflipping all of the biggest jumps, which is like a, a more notable trick than it is. Like, not very many people were doing it. Yeah. And then I talked to Brian Fox, and he's like, dude, best back three in the half pipe, which is also <laughs> another underrated trick as well. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, man, I had some stupid days doing backflips over jumps. I had no business doing that over. But honestly, it was kind of crazy. Like, I know any any professional snowboarder could identify with. They have that one safety trick where you have a lot of eyes on everything. You can see it the whole way. And for me, that was just a backflip. It was just easiest to kind of, like, guinea pig a jump doing a backflip because you just have so much time, like, looking at the landing and really kind of pulling it around and stuff like that. So... It's kind of my like gimme trick. Mm -hmm. And then uh, to, to fast forward a little bit, you know, I think a lot of people sitting in that chair can say the same, but I know that you went over to High Cascade and you ended up ultimately working there for 14 years. Do you want to talk about the the impact that that place has, you know, played on your life, you could say? I, I, I would love to talk about that. You know, High Cascade is a big part of my life. And especially with what I do now, you know, it's it's actually where I kind of just, you know, lack of a better term, I really cut my teeth, especially in coaching, you know, because you're thrown into, like, right when I worked there, you know, I was like, 
fresh out of high school and I just wanted to continue snowboarding into the summer, you know, and that was a place to go. And I lived close enough that I could just go up there and literally sleep in my car until they gave me a job. And my first job at High Cascade honestly ended up being I was a digger, I was a hospital driver, and I was the owner's like do whatever I say guy, you know, and so I just worked my ass off for no pay, you know, like full just room and board, just like, you know, definitely like kind of made it happen. And then after that, I came back as a coach and I coached for probably like six or seven, eh, five or six years. You know, I probably coached for that, but that was like, I mean, learning how to deal with like, or to kind of like kind of impact like seven to 10 kids lives like every week. Like that's a whole different thing in itself, you know, like completely different than what I do now. And so there was definitely a lot to learn back then. And I really appreciate the time, but you know, even back then I had, I got a chance to like, you know, interface with a lot of like pros that came up later that were actually campers of mine, you know, like here Dylan and kind of people like that were, you know, kind of like already started to kind of go through there, but high cascade, like those were, I mean, I, I worked there for that long because I really enjoyed it, you know, and then, and then later on after coaching, I ended up kind of running the old Han Hill program after, you know, Tonino didn't want to do it anymore. And it was a, it was definitely, I got, I definitely had a stigma attached to me after that. You know, you kind of have to be the jerk or whatever. And, and I still, to this day, kind of deal with that a little bit. And I kind of think it's funny when people bring it up, but. <laughs> well, I got two, two things to add to that. A, when I was 17, I drove cross country and <laughs> dug to ride under you. I don't know. You probably don't remember that. But I don't, uh, I remember that was a, I had a, kind of a similar when you're t painting your picture of what happened, same thing. Like we just, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that experience. And then part B, we have a guest question from none other than Tonino Copin, the uh, head digger before you got the job. Yep. And uh, let's get into it. The guest question is presented by Solomon. Here we go. Hey guys, this is Tonino. Um, being a part of the asshole alumni, I just wanted to call and, Ask James what he thought about being an asshole. Thanks. Hope you guys are having a good one. Oh, I appreciate that question so much because it was a big part of my life. Like, and I, I honestly, and just like Tonino, he might deny it or whatever, but he probably won't. But like, I embraced it for sure. Like, you, you have to in that job. Like, you have to be the asshole. Like, it's. I had no problem at that time. I think I was kind of a, a pretty angry kid at the time, whatever, and I had a lot to get out. But I mean, it was uh. It, it, a lot of times it was fun. I look back and go, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, I had a, at least one kid by his throat in the ground, you know. <laughs> so. uh, allegedly, allegedly, we should say for legal purposes. Tanino yeah. kind of set the pace, though, yeah. for, what, oh, for the, sure. what needed to happen up there. People were scared, so you had to fill those shoes. Well, I mean, even before him, I'm, I'll throw his name out because nobody's going to know it, but Joey, Joey Boisino was kind of our predecessor before that, you know, and I saw that guy literally throw a stick of bamboo in between Gooch's legs when he was riding the pipe. Like it wow. was the, it was the gnarliest thing I ever saw. And it definitely set the precedent for me to like, when I, you know, came into that position to take over, like it definitely was like, all right, this is how it's done. You know? yeah, the guys like Gooch too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, uh, I got a Patreon Go question. Ahead, yeah. That's kind of just what we're talking about from Jake Price. Um, he wants to know what your favorite um, camp kickout story is along the lines that we're talking about. Part two of the question, he says you have a nickname, Scooter, and uh, interested to know where that nickname came from. Ah, oh, Jake. We've known each other for so long. 
You said you try to hide that nickname. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the the proudest thing. We'll start with the nickname. Right. We, we can skip. We can skip that if you want. But no, nah, it's fine. Let's get it. All right, all right, I have nothing to hide. I never Perfect. do. I have a I have a firm rule that I never say. Like I never like say anything out loud unless I'm willing to say it to the person, kind of thing. So good style. Um, scooter came from an old girlfriend. You know, she just. I don't, I don't know where the hell she got it or whatever, but it just kind of stuck. And I actually, this will go into the story a little bit more. A lot of people don't know. Maybe Jake kind of maybe pulled it out of me this way, but I used to ride for a Japanese snowboard company that was, um, that actually ended up being named Scooter <laughs> because of that damn nickname. Really? <laughs> yeah. For a few, for a few years, you know, so I mean, it's fun, you know, and, and looking back, you know, I wouldn't change anything. It's a, it's a funny nickname. So, and then in terms of, uh, what did he say? Favorite kick out? Yeah. Just your uh, favorite kick out story Man, for, I don't for know being that asshole at, at camp that had to, I don't, I don't know if I could call it a, a favorite. favorite. Favorite's not <laughs> the word I would use today. You know, like I do a lot of Zen meditation, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to like exit that part of my life, but he's, um, wo- he's currently woke. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm not going to name names, but actually, you know what? I do have a favorite. I, I fully have a favorite, and I will name names now that I really think about it, is um, Scotty Whitleg. Uh, I think it was maybe seven days in a row he would come up and fully poach that kid, it was so amazing to watch. Like, every day, he would turn his clothes inside out. He would fully sneak, and I'd, you know, we'd be in the middle of the day, and I'd see him, and I'd call him out, and he would just stop in his tracks and buckle up and just leave. So he was always really cool about it, and finally, we just gave him a job, which, you know, was inevitable, and and he's obviously turned into what he has or whatever. But those were, you know, at the time, it was aggravating as hell, but I look back at it as, like, that was such perseverance. Like that guy just wanted to ride and he did everything he could to make it happen. And I, I appreciated it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Turning clothes inside out yeah. and, and then leaving when he knew he was busted. That's, that's uh, classic. He would change the stickers <laughs> on his board. I mean, he would do anything, everything, to trick you, right? <laughs> anything, you know? So well, for people that don't know that are unfamiliar with a uh, wide, that high cascade uh, diggers had such a reputation for being assholes. Can you explain why, you guys kind of had to be dickheads in your role and to give a little backstory. You know, I think it's probably changed over the years a little bit, at least. I mean, my idea of it was fully is like, I mean, those campers, you know, back then it was like 200 campers a session, you know, it was like a lot of kids. And each one of those kids was paying 15 to like 2,200 bucks to ride, you know. And so the way I looked at it is like, look, if you didn't, if you didn't pay or you're not contributing to the camper's experience, then you have no business being there, you know. And if you do want to be there, you can contribute, you know, but that's, that's it, you know. And, and that was just a hard thing for me, you know. And then inevitably, most people, when they come in, they lie. And I hate that. That drives me crazy when people lie. Like it's a sure shot to get thrown out, you know. What would they lie? What are they lying about? Just like who they talk to, why they think oh. they should be there, you know. Like it, it, the, I talked to so and so. They yeah. told me I could ride for the day. And the amount of stories that I've heard, like you know, it was it was incredible. Anything so, to get on that hill. Yeah, a, a couple. Uh, we were the generation right below you because Corey McDonald took over your position, and that was on that wave. 
of High Cascade Diggers. And I remember we learned a couple things from you guys. Uh, one of them was somebody would come to check in. We would all just not say anything sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, so they're like, I'm here to check in. There's like 14 <laughs> people just sitting there being completely silent. Staring at them. All in masks. All just like get it up. Like just staring. It's a great tactic. You know, it definitely puts people in their place. Just to be like, am I not doing this right? Like, what am I doing here? People are scared of the dig, dig squad and <laughs> such assholes. And then the other one we learned from him, which it's like, I'm not necessarily proud of this, by the way. Like, we like looking back, you're like, yeah, you're idiots. Like, whatever, you know. But um, the the high cascade digger hole, which is um, essentially you, we would dig. I learned it from Curtis in Austin. Oh, yeah. Do you want to explain what that is for the layman? I mean, it would always happen right around fifth or sixth session when we're just kind of on our wits in and it's been a long summer and it's pretty hot you know and we're just kind of going out of our mind nobody really i mean we all want to snowboard but we're just waiting for our hour that we're going to get in or whatever else but we're still diggers right so eventually somebody's going to dig a hole and then eventually somebody's going to get the idea to take some fencing and kind of place it over the hole lightly packed in with some snow and a teeny bit of salt that when somebody does come to check in they're going in that hole, and they're just like, what's going on? You know, like, it's crazy. It's super so, funny. And so How deep of a hole we do talking? Overhead. We go overhead. Overhead. Yeah. They would get pretty hectic. We had a lot on our on our of time. You have a lot of time when yeah. you're working up there. And so you, you you dig this hole, and it's, you know, you know sometimes five feet deep, and it just appears like you're walking on flat ground, and then you just fall into the hole. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but I actually, I made the mistake of getting uh, Pat Bridges one time. Oh. And he claims I blew his knee out. We'll have to get him. We'll have to do a fact check on that's that. That's what he says. And huh? I, yeah. And at uh, any rate, that's a, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe buy it. it. I, don't I don't believe it for a second. I don't buy it. They were dangerous. If I can add a story to it, one time, I mean, we, and it was planned. Like, we knew they were coming up, and it was just, it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. But we kind of, we dug a grid pattern of holes, right? Like, they're all <laughs> Get leg, tactical. leg, leg kind of <laughs> width and, like, just knee kind of deep a little bit. And we had them all, like, probably 10 of them literally in a grid pattern. <laughs> and at the time, again, I won't name names, but the whole Roxy team showed up and they knew they had to check in and, and they snowboarded up over the holes and we're just like waiting so anxiously like, <laughs> oh, when's it going to happen? You know, what's going on? And I'm just like, you guys got to come talk to me. Like, you can't just, you know, rock up and think that you're just going to go. And so they all unbuckled it. And as they unbuckled and stepped out, it was just like, bloop. <laughs> they bloop, all fell in the all house. into the hole, and it was just the funniest thing I'd ever seen. So. Oh, that sounds like good times. Yeah, diggers know how to have fun over there, huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. This the old salt gun. I remember that uh, one time we found a dead mouse and just what? and you put it inside the sh the and salt gun. Goes boom. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Shoot elk. I mean, we could go on for days with those stories, but <laughs> so many. Yeah, yeah. You guys were uh, set the set the bar high for the next gen, <laughs> and then your crew, Curtis. Cizik, oh, Austin Smith, and Brian Fox for the were kind of the headliners. We'll we'll say, yeah, and uh, they went on to do great things. Yeah, I mean those. It was uh, that those. There was a couple years in there where the crew is just on point, you know, and they were all like aspiring snowboarders, and that's what I really looked for, you know, somebody that had the passion because you're not getting paid a lot, right? So you got the passion, and you really want to ride and whatever else. And it was just a really fun crew, and those kids, you know, like Curtis and Austin. I brought them on well below the age they were supposed to be there, you know, but I just, I loved them and I knew what they were going to do and they were great energy to have around. And, you know, I put my neck out there to like get them in and, and they were, they were, they're really 
Awesome, you know. And then Brian Fox, you know, that's a personality all in itself that adds to the whole melting pot of what's going on. So, <laughs> Solid squad. Uh, when I was talking to Brian to get some intel on this conversation we're having right now, um, he kind of wanted to know, like, you know, you. it seems like you've, to kind of pivot back into coaching, you've, you've hand-selected these select people that have gone on to do all these great things. And he, he wanted to know, do you think you can coach anyone or do you specifically pick people with talent? Um, I'm definitely going to say that I can coach anyone. <laughs> Just going to throw it out there. No, nah, I mean, it, it's a great question, honestly, because I, I can, I mean, I do, I handpick who I get to work with, but that's more on personality, work ethic, and stuff like that, you know, like most people in that position have some form of talent or another, right? And, um... You know, it's just, it's really just finding like kind of what, what they need more of and what they need less of. You know, there's a lot of distractions that need to be kind of like evaporated out and stuff that needs to be enforced and whatever else. And, and honestly, you know, as I get older and whatever else, like I am exploring different avenues in my coaching and, and how I do things to work with people outside of sports, you know, and so it's, and it's, the biggest deal for me is I love picking apart people's brains. You know, it, it just, it intrigues me so much to figure out how people work. And I know you can identify with that for sure. But it just like, I just watch people all the time. And I'm always like going, oh, that's an interesting mannerism, you know, like, and, and that's just what I do. You know, it's just whether or not I would, it's, that's my profession. I love watching people and kind of figuring out their deal. Yeah. Well, I have another Patreon question for you from uh, Jason Newman. That's Hondo. Hondo. Yeah. Let's give him an air horn. Wow, that was loud. Sorry. That was a good air horn, and Hondo, he deserves an air horn. So you're talking about uh, this time as head digger. He wants to know, mentoring people like Curtis, Austin, Brian Fox, Canute, et cetera, is that kind of your jump off to coaching? Um, yeah. I mean, you know what? It's It's funny. Even at a young age, like, I guess I'll go into some deeper stuff, like, and this is kind of something that I I feel like will come up anyway, but um, my – so I've never drank alcohol in my whole life, right? So I grew up going through high school and everything, taking care of my friends. You know, like I just, I was a designated driver. I kept people from getting arrested, from getting killed. You know, like I've always kind of like had this, like I've always had a desire. That's a weird word, but I've always wanted to like just take care of people, you know, just keep them going and whatever else. And, um... And it's just what I've always done and what I always will do, you know, like, and so being in that position of like always watching over people and whatever else, it's just something that I've kind of more cultivated into a profession, obviously. And then, um, you know, it just kind of does it, you know, and I, and I do it to this day to people that I don't even work with at the top of the pipe or the slope course or whatever. Like if I see something that's just like glaring and it, it's, I just can't help myself. I'm like, Hey, you know, you should really try to do this and I swear it'll help you. And it's just in me. It's just the way it is. He actually has a part two to his question as well. Um, Also, do you see a difference between coaching and mentoring athletes on the Olympic level compared to when you were mentoring people like Jen and Mayan? Um, you know what? I, 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 that's a great question. I don't. Because Jana, Jana was actually one of the most driven people I've ever worked with, and and by driven I mean her raw, like did like her raw, and I'll use this word now, but her raw desire to just 
kind of like do her best and, and beat everybody and whatever else was a learning curve for me. But like, it was intense, you know, like if she was still going right now, like she would, she would go to the Olympics for sure. Like she would get after it. So kind of Jana was my first, what, what, what we would call like professional, like client kind of thing. And, you know, obviously we were really good friends during the whole time or whatever, but, um, she, yeah, she, she, she taught me a lot about like what to do and what not to do and you know how to like intervene with people when they're not having the best day or whatever so you know i i I would say the answer to that is no she's she's uh she's she's olympic material she just missed her gate yeah that's a lot of the listeners may not be familiar with jenna mayan but i think she was she's one of the most prolific riders to ever do i think she's probably the first female to do a cab nine i'm guessing a lot of things like along that nature Right. Yeah, I mean Jenna, she had a lot of firsts. I mean, she was she was uh she she rode like a dude. I mean style, right? Yeah, really good style. She she rode she rode really aggressive, you know. She went after it for sure. I mean, during our run, like we kind of worked together for like 3 years. I mean, she I think not a lot of people know this and she probably wouldn't even remember this, but she won like 23 contests in a row. It was pretty crazy. Like, she was the first girl to three-peat at X, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, she definitely had her own. And and then the thing is, is when she left, I mean, it was like a magician. She just, poof, just disappeared. It was over. That was it. And she's got her kids, and she's really psyched. And, you know, so, and I, and I wish her the best. I don't get to talk to her very much these days. But, um, yeah, she just kind of left. Did the exit. Well, uh, we like to talk about kind of uh, breakout moments of the career. Um, and I know in your coaching career, we can get into this, but Pub Beer is one of our sponsors. And let's get into it, buds. Let's get into our breakout moment presented by our friends over at Ten Barrel and Pub Beer. Pub Beer supports us, and you should support them. Their tagline is Cheap Fun Beer. Now, before coaching and snowboarding became a big, serious career, back when it was cheap and fun... Do you have a memorable breakout moment? Um, memorable breakout breakout moment was probably going to Chile with the girls. You know, it was like Jana and Mercedes and a couple other girls, and that was like kind of the first trip I went on where I was actually—I don't even think I was getting paid, but it was like kind of like it just like I was there to do that job, right. To help the girls, like kind of learn some stuff and Jana in particular, like, you know, she'd never had a coach and I don't, you know, it wasn't even really part of the sport kind of back then so much. And, uh, that was a, that was a big time for me. And then coming back from Chile was definitely just put, just capitalized on that because we came back on nine 11. Wow. And, uh, this, um, this girl, Leslie Olson and I got stuck in Oklahoma city for three days during that whole thing, we were one of four transcontinental flights to be flying that. And obviously the other three were kind of the notable ones, you know, but, and, and that was, that was interesting. Cause when we were landing, they didn't tell us what was going on. They actually, I looked, I was looking out the window going, why the hell are we turning right here? And we started landing and I saw the shadow of our plane. And then I saw the shadow of two other planes behind us. And apparently they were, you know, fighter planes or whatever you want to call it. Oh, and they were, and they were escorting us down. And that was, uh, that pretty much capitalized that whole trip and kind of really polarized the whole thing for me. Like, all right, it's time to get serious. <laughs> so. Holy shit. One of, those, one of those moments in life you'll never forget. Yeah, sure, definitely obviously. not. 
Now we kind of breezed over this, but and maybe I, maybe you said this and I didn't pick up on it. But did you? What was your reasoning for never picking up alcohol? You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons, and uh, I mean, one of the biggest things, and I'll just get real personal about this, is um, I was pretty young, and my uh, my dad, my dad was pretty young when he had me, right? Like he was, you know, 19 when he had me, and I think. At this point, my dad took me fishing. I think it was like four or five or whatever else. And um, after fishing, we went to the bar with a buddy or two of his. And I remember collecting the bottle caps. You know, like the bottle caps was kind of like my treasure as a kid. Like I was like, oh, look at all these bottle caps. I was super stoked, you know. And my father, you know, being 26, you know, like you, know, you kids out there right now, 26, this is how it is. But he kind of made the decision that he was – not coherent enough to drive, but we had to get home. So he decided to put me in his lap and I would steer on the highway while he, you know, obviously worked the pedals and everything else. And later on in life, like not too much longer, I associated the bottle caps with the alcohol and the alcohol being the bad decision kind of maker. And that just kind of like, kind of started that whole thing for me. And then again, like I said, I just, I really just got into like making sure that my friends were okay and just taking care of them. And that just became kind of my identity that I worked with. And that's how I got a lot through a lot of the peer pressure and stuff is, um, you know, just doing that. And then obviously as I get older, you know, it's, it's really easy to just be like, yeah, no. It's way <laughs> easy when you're older. So, right? <laughs> yeah. Peer pressure is not really a thing. No. As you get older, you, yeah. I love how, saying no. How old no. were you when yeah. you were on your dad's lap? I was, yeah, maybe four or five, I think, you know. Like, wow. I don't know. We said this off camera, but, uh, you know, parents can be great teachers on what to do. They're also great teachers and what not to do sometimes, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's still drunk driving, I think, if your uh, four-year-old is... Right, but I <laughs> controlling the wheel. <laughs> but I was I was living in Montana at oh. the time, and it's actually at the time no rules over there. It huh? was it was legal to drink and drive. Really, at the time you could have a beer in between your legs and drive. You know, so it was just like it's different. You know, and I I like to think that he wasn't that drunk. Yeah. That if he yeah. was driving, you know, whatever. So maybe he made a good decision, kind of thing, and it obviously put me on that path for this for my life, kind of thing. Yeah, but, good path. Yeah. That could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Who knows? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a huge marker in my life, right? Like it's it's massive, you know, and, and to where I'm at. So, well, it's interesting. Uh, I want to dive into some of the specifics of this this coaching mentoring. I know it's it's I shouldn't say coaching because it's more than coaching. You, it, it's a full, especially from, from everybody I talk to, it's like a full mentor deal. But, um, you know, I talked to Ben Ferguson last night on the phone who you, he's your right hand man, seems like for a long time. And yeah. he explained, uh, when he was a kid, you just basically deconstructed his entire riding and made him like go back to the very basics of turning. Now, do you want to explain the reasoning and the purpose of deconstructing somebody's entire snowboarding. Well, I'll tell you the story that goes behind that. So I took um, one of our first trips way back then. I took Gabe, his brother, and Ben to Copper for a, a rev tour or whatever small kind of contest there was at the time. And it was like the first time we'd really gone out and to a contest and, and actually riding the pipe because we never had a working pipe at Bachelor, you know, and it's always funny to see these kids come out of Bachelor can ride transition like that, you know, and, and we went there and they were just having such trouble and I'm like, all right, well, you got to you gotta pretend like you're like, you're carving on, the, on just groomers, you know, and they're like, what do you mean? I don't know what you mean. I'm like, all right, that's it. 
practice is over. We're not doing this today. Let's go. And we're just going to turn, you know? And I, and I, I'm like, they were so pissed because they didn't know what the hell was going on. And they're like, we should be in the pipe training. And I'm like, well, no, you're going to go and learn how to use your edges on, on groomers, you know? And I taught them how to like initiate their edge and where it comes from and where to go and like grab their rail while they're turning. And, you know, I made it fun or whatever else, but you know, I basically had to take them backwards in order to catapult them forward, you know? And, and, and I actually do that with almost everybody, you know, and, and I, by almost, I think everybody, like everybody's got some pretty crappy habits when I get a hold of them usually. And so I, I'm always, I'm, every time that somebody signs up to work with me and I like to say sign up because it's not always the funnest thing in the world. I'm always like, look, the first year or maybe less, it's up to you is going to suck. Like you're going to hate it and you're going to feel like you don't know what the hell you're doing. And, and it's going to be really tough on the psyche to kind of like go backwards, but this is how it's going to go. And if you're down, let's go, you know, and everybody does They, you know, I have to break them back down to the basics and build that foundation back up and really capitalize again on, on what they do well, but then eliminate the stuff that's just garbage, you know, like we got to get rid of that stuff and it can't just be popping up somewhere here and there. It's got to be gone completely, you know, so it's just like a total deconstruction and then a buildup and it's, it's always up to the rider, like how quickly that comes back, right? If they drag their feet on the destruct on the like kind of like just kind of breaking it back down if they drag their feet on breaking it back down, then it's going to be tougher to come back. But if they, you know, if they take it all in, in stride, then they bounce back really fast and then they come back way stronger, you know, because again, let's just talk about coaching. You know, it's, it's, it's all about the foundation, you know, and it's all about the fundamentals and everything. And if you don't have that, I can guarantee that your injury track life is going to be completely staggered with like all kinds of stuff you know but if you build the foundation and, and it's all good there then you're going to have less injuries which means you're going to have more progression you can be on snow more you're going to have more time doing it you're going to have more fun doing it and you're going to be way more confident so it's an integral part it just it you can't have one without the other it's funny when i first saw the fergusons come up at super park i noticed how their edge control was really really sick and you can see how much that helps them out when they're hitting a giant hip or Oh yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That was that was you. Well, growing up at Bachelor, you know, there's not a there's it's pretty it's kinda of flat. You not know, a traversing, huh? Yeah, not as flat as some mountains in Colorado, but you know, it's it's pretty flat or whatever else. And I would go up with the kids and we wouldn't even ride the park, right? We get a lot of snow and whatever else. And so I would just take them and, and we would just rally. I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You guys were playing, you know, cat and mouse or whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, you guys chase me and you do what I do. And if you can't make, keep it up, then you skip different things until you can keep up. Right. And we'd go home and the parents would be like, what'd you learn in the park today? And they're like, we didn't even ride in the park. You know, <laughs> and they're and like, I'm what? just like, I mean, we spent an entire season literally just rallying the mountain and finding natural hitters and learning how to negotiate speed and like all that stuff, you know, and again, that's that baseline. That's that foundation that is, you know, obviously part of those kids' lives now for sure. It's kind of a Mr. Miyagi approach, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely. Paint, paint the fence Absolutely. before you're allowed to fight the dude. Wax on, wax yeah, off situation. That's what's going yeah. on. Can you, I'm just curious for my, I think I can see it, but can you essentially break down the fundamentals of how carving and pop and all those things lead up to the the double corks and the triple corks and the crazy stuff uh just the evolution of fundamentals 
in the trick. You know what? This will this will be fun to talk about because there's a lot of people out there that have no idea why a snowboard is built the way it's built, right? With camber and side cut and just all the things that go into it. But they all have such an integral part of like progressing through and having that confidence and knowing what your board's going to do, you know? Like most people don't realize that when you decamber a board, all this is all it is is potential energy, right? And as soon as it wants, as soon as you release it and it comes back, like there's all there's everything you need, right? You don't need to throw your whole body into it. You don't need to do a lot of things. The board actually will do everything if you know how to use it properly. And so that's a huge part of that whole thing, you know, is like teaching or just you know teaching kids how how a board actually works and how to utilize that tool in that way. You know, a lot of kids coming up now and even back then, like they all, they all are, are really have natural abilities, right? They're just gifted kids or whatever else, but they don't realize what's going on. And if you can add that little element of like, look, this is how a snowboard works, you know? And if you use it properly, you actually get to save energy and do less and the board will do everything for you. And then that's where style comes in because that's when you're in the air and you get to be comfortable and you get to make it look the way you want to. And, and if it feels good, it's going to look good, right? And that's just like, that's a huge part of it. And the feel good comes from repetition, right? Feel good, look good, pay good. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, you play good, they pay good. That's what we're I talking mi- about. I misquoted, uh, <laughs> I said that was Terrell Owens, it's actually Deion Sanders. So let me make a little correction. Oh. Yeah. Go, go, let's let's keep hammer on this because I'm fascinated. Yeah, with this, all this is stuff. very interesting. Yeah, so all that comes from, and then then we're talking about repetition, you know. And the repetition, it, it sounds kind of mundane and boring, but it just when you're doing things over and over and over, and it and it starts to feel the way it's supposed to. Like, there's a big part of that. Like a lot of a lot of people out there, you know, they just they're like they watch video, they do this, they do that, but they have no feel for the snowboard. You know, they have no feel for how it's supposed to be. And it and and I can't tell you how important it is, and and we've all experienced this, especially you know, whatever. If you have good style, is when you're in the middle of a trick and it just feels right, and you're obviously not outside yourself looking, but it just feels right. Like there's nothing compared to that, and you just know that that's when it clicks, right? You know, that's when you're gonna like come around. It's gonna land perfect, and it felt good the whole way through. And a lot of people are kind of missing that, especially, and it sucks right now with the big spins coming up is, is that is very much kind of lost, you know, other than the Scandos, those guys, man, they hold themselves so accountable to that kind of stuff. They really come through with that, but it's a lot of it's lost, you know, like, okay, that was definitely an 18, but holy shit, did it look terrible? You know, like, yeah. and I'm True. not afraid to one say it. One particular yeah, like, one at X Games that was fucking horrendous. <laughs> you know, yeah, let's continue. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that, but yeah, like, it's just like, that's such a huge part of it. Like, you know, like, and if it, and the thing is, when we talked about it the other day, you know, like the repetition brings on confidence and confidence brings on progression. And then the progression, you know, is going to, you know, bring on the wins, you know, but the thing is, like, I, the thing that I tell all my riders, no matter who it is, whether it's mountain biking or whatever, I'm like, look. You got to go out there, and if it's a judge sport, you know, the the one thing that I say that is kind of cliche is go make the judges want to go ride, you know? Like, if you can go out there and you can tell a story with your riding, and it just looks so fun, and it looks like you're just killing it, and you're in the zone or whatever you want to call it, and they want to get up out of their seat, and they want to go shred, 
then you've done your job, right? And most likely you're winning. Like, that's that's the deal. And whether they give you the score or not because of politics or not politics, you're still winning. Like, if, you, if you're making people want to go ride, whether, again, whether it's mountain biking, surfing, skating, snowboarding, whatever, then you've done your job. Like, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Because you're, you know, you're making an impression. That's a great way to look at it. Hey, you mentioned uh, camber. Does yeah. it work for you? So what does that mean for you with, like, reverse camber and all that's a big topic on the show? Uh, reverse camber is for pow. So For powder only. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I owned a snowboard shop for 14 years, and we definitely we sold a lot of reverse camber, and, and that's, that's how it came out. You know, snowboarding, to enable us to keep selling product year after year, you know, you got to come up with new innovations. And it was, it was a great innovation when it came out, and I definitely rode some reverse camber, but... You know, in terms of like what we're talking about in, you know, slope style pipe or just like aggressive snowboarding, it's hard to get away with not having camber in your snowboard. You know, you're just, you're, you don't have the energy kind of release in there and all that stuff we talked about. But reverse camber, honestly, in POW, I don't know how we survived without it. It was, it's the best. Look at Blake Paul bouncing around out there, landing yeah. everything. Right. Yeah, he know? makes it look real good, huh? Uh, one thing you're, you're talking about, too, uh, with, you know, using your board properly and technique, and, and that's not the verbiage you use, but I, I particularly remember, like, it clicking when I remember watching Stale go off of a jump back in the day. And I don't have good fundamentals. Like, I'll come fucking boomerang hook into a back seven. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but I, I remember watching... Like Stalley come up and it was almost like he went dead straight and then torsionally flexed his board and then yeah. like snapped off the tail. Now and if you if you have a reverse camber board, you're not gonna get that. It, not that it even matters, but can you talk about more of of just kind of the I'm fascinated with the the yeah, fundamental yeah. stuff there. Yeah, and we'll we'll see how many of the listeners kind of keep up with this, but I know you really want to hear this. Yeah. But the, here's the whole deal, right? The way a snowboard, it's you know, you got the camber in the middle and then you've got your rising points in the end kind of thing. So what's happening when you're doing that, no matter what, if you're doing it properly, is you're actually putting most of your weight on the front of the snowboard, right? And you're starting that progression of like decambering the snowboard, but it's starting in the front, right? And so to me, and the way I try to explain it is that's energy development, right? You're starting that energy in front. And as you go through the meat of the snowboard and you're really decambered, actually just, you know, you're flexing the snowboard out, you're building up this powerhouse of energy in the middle of the snowboard. And then, and that's when your weight's right in the middle and you're kind of in the gut of like initiating whatever you're trying to do. And then as you exit out, right and it's your the, the power of transfer is going to the tail it's just wanting to go right it's wanting to go and if you release it properly right and those guys that are the best they can really do that manipulate the hell out of it you know that you're you're getting all that energy and it's just an explosion right and if you do it right you personally your body your mind everything physically you don't have to do anything the board's about to just release it right and if you look at Anybody that is just amazing at that, whether it's a camber snowboard or not camber snowboard, is Travis Rice, right? That guy knows, I mean, he's got the, he's got the stature and everything to, like, load a snowboard up and just crack off at anything, you know? And that, that's how it works, right? It starts in the front, builds up in the middle, and then exits out the tail, and it's just a snap of power, you know? And 
man, it, it doesn't apply anywhere more than half pipe. And if people don't realize that, and I am giving away quite a bit of stuff. <laughs> I've right never now. thought about this ever <laughs> yeah. in my life. It's mind blowing to hear, yeah. hear you talk about the science of it. That's really cool. So yeah, I mean, it's like again, I'm I'm giving some away, but it, I mean, people don't know this. It's just kind of there, you know. It's, it's just, sim- simply put, dude, I remember filming a cab nine years ago, and Sage was just going, "Dude, you just you you're missing your snap." Yeah, and when you when you hit the snap. It's like boom! Oh, that was it felt easy as hell. Yeah, and it all comes from that. The it all, you, you can bring it back to turning. If you turn right on the way in, and then you have the you have the patience to wait and pop and use your your board properly, it feels like easy. But when you the times I've noticed, you know, this is maybe this is a personal conversation between me and you, and I'm just getting some. But I, <laughs> you know, I like I, I've. Uh, like for example, let's take a double backflip, right? You're like, oh, I'm hitting a powder kicker. I got to get this thing around, and you're like fighting it, and then it, like you're under rotating or whatever, and then you like slow it down, and you're like, oh man, just pop, yeah. and then it flip. And when you when you then you're like, oh, I got time. I, like, that was easy. Yeah. But when you when you get too excited, like as as kind of more intermediate snowboarders, you get too excited and you want to fucking chuck it, but you got to slow it down and snap it. I don't know if that's. No, that's exactly it. Honestly, and anybody, you know, trying to learn new tricks or whatever else, like listen to this, listen to it over and over and over until you understand it. But that's the thing is like if you feel yourself physically like really chucking, you're not doing it right. You're making it way harder. And the worst thing is, is A, you can't have style in anything like that. It's going to look like garbage in the air for sure. And B, you take your percentage chance of landing down so much because you're not in control. You know, you've just chucked your whole body and probably extended and then compacted and extended or whatever else. You have no control over that force to where if you just load the snowboard up and the board does the work, that's when it's going to look good in the air. You're going to come around. You're going to know exactly where you're at. You can place yourself up. You can make those minor adjustments in the air, like all those things because the board's done most of it for you. Wow. Damn, this is fascinating. <laughs> you make let's me want to go give, ride. And, let's and, give him an air horn for that. <laughs> this is insane. Okay, this kind of reminds me, this this subject of what we're talking about, I was speaking with uh, Ben Ferguson, who happens to have one of the best methods in snowboarding. Would you agree, buds? I would definitely agree. Shot a few of those, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. He said... Had a cover or two, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's, give, let's give that a little air horn. Um, he said, Ben said that you taught him how to do a method. Now... We're gonna try to get some industry wow. secrets. What are? You, can we get a couple pointers? You know, or is that is that a coveted like grandma's recipe type of situation? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's it's. But some people are just built for it, and some people aren't. You know, like it's like a McTwist, like a proper McTwist. Sometimes comes to some people, and sometimes they spend their whole life trying to get it and just don't. You know, so um, the method is. You know, I just take it to just such a Northwest thing. If I don't, if I'm not trying to teach it right and trying to get somebody to do it the way, you know, like I tried to emulate Jamie Lynn or whatever, how to do it, you know, I feel like I'm doing the whole sport of snowboarding wrong. So, um, couple little tricks is, well, and there's two different ways, right? We're talking, there's half pipe method and then there's a straight jib method, you know, or hip or whatever else, you know, and those are actually very different to do. And I guess we'll just go to straight jump because it's actually harder. And some people actually have a different opinion of that. But um, yeah, the straight jump, honestly, the easiest way I can explain it is you go into it like you're going to do a back three. So you start on the right and you come in on your heels and then go to your toes 
And the big deal is, is once you pop, right, you release that energy and everything else, you have to have the confidence and the muscle core strength to actually lay it out, put it out there and really push with your back foot out. And you're basically laid parallel to the, hopefully the deck of the jump. And then you have to have the core strength at the last minute to kind of pull your feet back underneath you. Because if you just lay it out there like that and you just kind of hang, you're going to land on your stomach. So that's the hard part of the method, honestly, is actually being able to pull it back underneath you at the last minute and let it float out there for a bit and then, you know, bring it back. So well, you mentioned core strength. Let's let's uh, hammer on that. Is that something that's super important to your protocol as a mentor or coach? It is. And, and most people will have some assimilation of core strength just naturally, you know, being you know, good snowboarders and athletes and whatever else they're going to have it. But if you actually want to, again, I'm going to, I'm going to straight up say that when it comes to, cause I know where we're going with this, <laughs> we're going into like off hill training and you know, all this stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to premise preface this with, if you don't do that stuff and you don't really get your body strong and everything else, then you're just asking to get hurt. Like you're just literally the way I look at the gym is not to go in there and to get ripped and strong and everything else. It is flat out injury prevention. Like it really is like, that's the whole thing with that. So if you want to spend more time on the snow and you want to progress and you want to have more confidence and get that repetition in and, you know, really do honestly what your job is, then you have to do that. There's just no choice or else you're, you literally will have injuries and that will be less time on snow. Your career will be shortened and that'll be the story. Well, this is a perfect preface for our guest question. Uh, number two, guest question is presented by Solomon Snowboards. Uh, today, the day we're recording, is a powder day. And I went up to Brighton. I rode a Solomon Assassin 162. Uh, I set it back. And it was my first day on this uh, new board this year. And it kicked ass. It floated. I felt like I couldn't fall. I personally like a bigger board for powder days. But yeah, um, 10 out of 10 would recommend the Salmon Assassin if you're looking for kind of an all-mountain powder park killer. And with that, we'll get into the guest question from none other than Brock Crouch. What's up? It's Brock Crouch. We're here at Brighton Resort. I got a guest question for James Jackson. I'm wondering why you like having your athletes train on the mountain bikes and not in the trampolines. Thanks for that. Um, that's a good question, Brock. Thanks. I, I really appreciate you bringing that into this. Um, well, number one, I'll be, I'll be very honest. I love mountain biking. Like it's kind of my spot to go and turn everything else off and clear my brain and just kind of bike. You know, even if, if you're with people, you still have to focus on what's coming at you. And then in terms of Brock's question, let's just call it cross training, you know, and, and I think it's such an applicable, like kind of like sport, especially in slope style snowboarding, you know, like basically Brock is referring to, we spent a little time this summer at the Oregon coast and, and, you know, he's, he's a, he's an athlete, right. And he knows how to ride a bike or whatever else. But what we were able to do is I kind of like brought him through this kind of heavy course, you know, like there were some gap doubles and stuff like that. And we kind of broke it down to the simplistic parts of the thing. And then he was able to put it all together. But, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a pop, there's how to pop, how to anti-pop in mountain biking. And one of the biggest things in mountain biking that is such a huge deal that a lot of people overlook is cornering, right? Like 
Being able to corner on a mountain bike is not easy. I've been doing it for quite a while, and I still think I feel like I'm at 50%, and I just have so much more to go. But the great thing is, as snowboarders, we we know how to lean over, right? We know how to let that centrifugal force kind of like take over, and we lean into those turns, and we trust that it's going to hold. We get that, like, we ha- we know how that feels. And so mountain biking, you kind of transfer that over, and it's kind of a natural crossover for snowboarder to mountain biking. And so in order in for uh, cross training, I think it's awesome. Like, you know, whatever, like you get to learn, you get to do those turns and you're doing that during the summertime. The consequences are a little heavier because it's dirt. And it doesn't like to mold or bend as much as snow or whatever. And it hurts sometimes. But yeah, that's the deal is like you're doing that. Plus you're just getting that, you're getting that leg workout, you know, and you're, you're working the hamstrings, which don't get a lot of attention a lot of the time. And, you know, and so it's just, there's so many good things to, to do it. And I really like doing it. So. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, One thing, as you were talking, I was thinking about as well, that is maybe uh, a correlation that uh, whether it's be it moto or mountain biking, but it's the, uh, there's an ability to read and process terrain quickly to be going very, very fast and say, okay, noted. We have rocks 50 feet ahead. Uh, you know, that kind of flying through the, down the trail and being able to process terrain quickly is, is a skill in itself. And that I think is also very applicable to snowboarding as well. So much. And you're so right about that, right. To be able to like, you know, take up and it, when you're on a slope style course, let's just say slope style course, you know, like it'd be middle of the day, practice day or contest, you know, like there's so many lines in the snow and you don't want to get jammed into those. And if you're staring dead straight at them, obviously you're going to hook into one of those and it's going to be uncomfortable. But if you can keep looking ahead, you know, and keep processing stuff that's ahead of you, then you're not going to notice that stuff and you're just going to kind of coast over it. And it's the same thing in mountain biking. And it's so, again, it's so applicable, like, to just keeping you looking forward, 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 and making those decisions and kind of like minute adjustments. Absolutely. That just, uh, when you're speaking and talking about looking ahead, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, and I don't know if this is something you say, but I remember I was trying to learn a park trick. I was, I was hitting a park jump, trying to learn a new jump trick. I don't remember what it was. I actually think it was switchback sevens. doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But somebody said, don't look at the landing, look down the landing. And that was actually a great, bit of advice for me to actually land because then I, I was going where I, where I wanted to go as opposed to just staring at the knuckle or whatever. Yeah, that's huge. That for sure. You got to keep looking ahead because again, if you're looking straight down at things and that's obviously probably where you're going to go is just down. Right. And the, one of the biggest things we'll just, we'll transition over to half pipe. You know, if a lot of these kids are learning new tricks, but they just fail to think of what they're going to do after that trick. Right. (laughs) And so if you actually present them with like, all right, what's the next trick after that, you know, that the big trick that they're trying to learn kind of gets downgraded a little bit to a more manageable type of thing. And then they're thinking about kind of a bigger picture and they're kind of, it's not so, it's not such a mass of like what they have to accomplish. You know, it's kind of breaking it up into different things. This is great. I feel like we're getting a free consultation yes, right now. That's what I feel like, dude. <laughs> this is insane. We, we've been we've been uh, hauling ass and covering a lot of uh, topics. One topic we're going to get into is. Uh, do you know what we're going to get into, buds? Name that video. Here we part. go. Oh man. Name that video part is presented by the Dew Tour, an event you'll often find James Jackson. At and uh, the winter one is unfortunately canceled, but the summer one, as far as right now, is still 
going on. So if you find yourself in the area, please tune in and check out the Dew Tour. They support us. You should support them. Now, James, what's your level confidence, 1 through 10? I'm not going to lie. My confidence is low, and I'm so ashamed of it because I did used to spend every day in a snowboard shop and videos playing all the time, and so I should have this, but it's been a while, and I'm just so out of touch with that kind of stuff right now. Well, for the culture, we'll hit you with it and see how you do. Here we go. You gotta shake it and bake it. Well, I know that's Austin Smith. That's correct. I know that's Austin, and I really should know this because you can't even imagine how many times I played in the shop. I can't come up with the name. I have no I idea. Heard him, I heard him mention someone's name, I think. He said, you got to shake it and bake it, and that's Austin Smith, which is a correct answer for the yeah, for the record. That is a win. And that's a win. And uh, Curtis Cizik. Yeah, and that's in Curtis, right? The, the people video. He and, said Curtis. Uh, uh, what you got yourself here is a bomb hole prize pack with a bomb hole cooler filled oh. with uh, a coffee mug. You got a stickers. You got, what else we got in there? I air think uh, Stony maybe. Bud's air freshener. Woo. Maybe a bomb hole crew neck. But uh, yeah, some nice. good stuff. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Put it next to all those medals and all those other things. Like that's yeah. that's that's a big win, right? That's there. a big win. That's a big, big win. win. I got close. close. <laughs> I know that. I mean, name. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. Uh, this one is for the listener viewers. If you know the correct answer, comment on the photo of James on our Instagram when this episode comes out, and you're gonna get yourself what, buds? Prize pack. A prize pack, and to be specific, it's actually just sticker a sticker. Pack. It's a sticker pack. It's not that good of a prize. <laughs> it's not pack. a cooler. It's not a hoodie. Okay, here Stick we go. Back. That's a great video part. Wow. I got a question for you. What's up? You mentioned sitting in the shop. We haven't really talked about side effect. Yeah. What? Uh, when did that fit in between hood and learning oh. to coach and being a pro? It was kind of right in between. Honestly, it overlapped. Kind of, you know, hood overlapped the shop, and then the coaching overlapped the back end of the shop. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of something, you know, I I've, I've loved, you know, as a Grom, I loved going into a shop and being part of it and whatever else. And it just happened that I went in, you know, I, I got this shop side effect. And it was a big deal, you know. Like, I really cared about the image of it and what we sold and how we did it and everything like that. It just got to a point, and especially when I was coaching on the back end, that, um, you know, I'd go away on these long trips, and I'd be gone for like three or four weeks, and I'd come back, and the only thing I got to deal with was just putting out fires, you know, mm. like it was just disgruntled customers or whatever employee did what, you know, it was just like ordering snafus, just like everything, and I'm just like, this is terrible, because I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually not a salesman, like I hate selling stuff, but I loved educating people and I always felt great if, if I put somebody on a setup that I knew they were going to have more fun than when they came into the shop. You know, like I knew they were going to have a great day on what I put them on. That made me feel good. But I just got way less of that interaction. And so I didn't even want to sell it. Like I literally just closed it down. I didn't want anybody to like carry the name or like, you know, I didn't want to have any of that happen. I just shut it down. Like wow. it was just done. That's pretty well. So, so uh, what I want to get into your psyche about that is what was your reasoning for starting a snowboard shop 
I don't know. It might have been like when I was like young hanging out in shops that I thought that was like just really cool. Like it was a cool environment to have, you know, and at the time in Bend, you know, there was definitely some good shops kind of around or whatever else. But I felt like there wasn't anything that had that like, I don't want to say like core image or whatever else, but they had that like, you know, what I felt snowboarding was right emulated through a shop and and I wanted to have that, you know, and so I was just like, well, I might as well try this, you know, and I was young. I mean, I think I started when it was like 24, 25 and definitely got a major crash course in business and retail and finances and all of that stuff, you know, and made it work for probably 14 years. So and it was it was fun, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's uh, a true testament to your uh, caring about the culture of snowboarding. I think anybody that wants to start a shop and cares about the the community, you know, Buds and I both care about the community and the culture of of this whole thing. And uh, I just kind of commend anybody, any shop owners out there, because it's it's a big deal. Yeah, it's huge. There's so much that goes into it, and if you can, and if you can maintain that image, and you don't like sell out or whatever it is, that makes it even harder, right? Because there's a lot of opportunities where you can just be like, all right, let's just take the easy route, you know. But it's such a compromise, and right now we don't need anything like that, you know. We need people to stay true to things and keep it going. So I got a Patreon question from uh, Blake Geis. Oh, he uh, says, "Longtime listener, first time question." Asker over here. I grew up lurking around James Shop side effect and always really enjoyed his opinion on common sense or the lack thereof in our world. Can you elaborate on that a bit? But he also has a part two hard hitting question that everyone wants to know which pro snowboarder that you've coached has the best method. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> I'm going to go into the first question while I kind of process the second one on how to politically get through that. Blake, thanks for bringing that up. And, and I have to say, it always surprises me over the years because I tell so many people so much stuff, you know, and I'm always surprised, like, what sinks in for people. And the common sense thing is kind of a joke and definitely not a joke, right? Like, I just don't think that common sense exists anymore because it's not common for people to have sense. So that's, for you, Blake, that's that's my opinion on that. So, oh, man, best method, like... What do you guys think? You, are we talking all time or today? It's out of the people you've coached. Oh, out of the people I've coached. Um, I mean, Ben has a strong method, and I don't. I don't actually. I, I think I could say Ben, and I don't think that anybody else that I've worked with would really contend with me too much about that. I'm gonna go Ben too. Yeah. So, well, while we're on the subject of Ben, I have another insight from speaking with him. Um, last night doing our research, and he mentioned that when he's at the top of X Games, he's freaking out. Uh, it's finals. You know, your your role there is essentially to to keep him calm. Because I was kind of asking him, I was prying, what, what what's James saying up in there right before you're running finals? And he mentioned something about a door, and you you were telling him not to. Like you're almost focusing attention on the door, not not to push the door. It was a pull door, and oh. kind of distracting him, and just being like, "Dude, you you have this. It's autopilot." Yeah. Can we can we talk about what you say? Maybe we'll just say Ben specifically because I think everybody's different. Uh, things that you might, I mean, without giving too much away, things that you might help help out with. 
I mean, you nailed it on the head, right? Everybody's different and everybody has different mechanisms that either trigger them on or trigger them off, you know, and you have to find that. Some people come in and they're just, they're too mellow, right? They just come in and they've, they're, they they haven't amped themselves up enough or whatever else. And so you got to get them firing to go up there and perform and have everything, you know, work the way it's supposed to. And some people are just way too fired up and you got to calm them way down, right? The whole point is just to find medium right you want that central like kind of neutral position to where you can just do what you have to do and ben is referring to you know like it's a you know it's a door it's an inanimate object it doesn't matter what it is you know basically i'm trying to clear his head of every everything else that he is perceiving is going on but probably actually not happening and just trying to make him focus on something that is easily kind of digestible for him to just think about, but then apply to what he wants to do next in his run. Right. And the door is, is just, is kind of an analogy of just like, you know, you can, you can push the door open and that takes a little bit or whatever, or you can pull the door open. And so what I was trying to do is like, you know, make him think quite a bit on just one thing and kind of clear his head out is when, when you're pushing the door and you're walking through it, you know, that's the process. But when you're pulling, you have to like back up and get out of the way and then go through it kind of thing. So I just want you to look at it as like your run is like everything coming to you rather than you're going after it, right? Like you're going, you're going down the pipe and you're getting every trick as you're going to it. I want you to think of the tricks actually coming to you up the pipe instead of you're chasing them. And it, it kind of makes sense it kind of doesn't but it just it you know it's something that it worked for ben really well and again mostly it's just like clearing his head of all the stuff that he thought was going on but probably wasn't it reminds me of uh you know brady or i mean i i like conventional sports I, yeah. I, that's just i love sports documentaries i could sit there and binge 30 for 30s for days on end because it's just fascinating to me particularly but um it, from what i understand it almost seems like you've worked with them you know they've done the work. You know they're prepared. Just remind them, hey, you know what you're doing here. Just just shut it down and let it go into autopilot in a sense. Is that is that correct? Or? I mean, it is. It, it is. Here's the deal is every, every, every single person I've ever worked with or talked to, doesn't matter what sport they're in, they literally just want to hear, you've got this, right? They just want to be reminded that you, they've done the work. They've done. They've gone through the whole process of getting it done, you know, and then... In terms of going into cruise control, I don't usually use that. It definitely, and on some people, it definitely would work to calm them down if they're really amped up kind of thing. But what, what you're really searching for and what I'm actually spending a lot of time kind of like investigating and doing a lot of like due diligence and, and, and reading and everything else is the flow state, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking, and that's just, to me, that's like the depths of the human, you know, psyche, like, and I'm still like trying to learn and how to apply and everything like that. And it's so interesting to me on what triggers people or what turns them off or how to get there or whatever else. And everybody's different, you know? And so, but I will say once you get to that state and it's, and some people just do it, you know, naturally or accidentally, everything's easy. You know, you're just, you're there. And, and the best part of it is if you're, looking at flow state or you're talking about it or you're thinking about it, the best part of flow state is it's the ultimate enjoyment of what you're doing. That's, I mean, that's it. Like there's no real way. It's like trying to explain style, you know, like there's no real concrete way, but as far as I'm into it and as far as like I've experienced it or helped other people experience it, it is literally just the 
ultimate enjoyment. You know, like you're just there and everything is working exactly how it's supposed to with the least amount of effort possible. Nobody else is around. It's just you and what you're doing. And that's an amazing human brain, you know, like the way that works. And, and again, like I said, I'm still diving into that and trying to find out and, and even maybe make up some of my own stuff for that. You, you can actually, oh, sorry, you can actually trigger people into it. Yeah, I mean, trigger is like kind help of a, them get yeah in that quicker. No, 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 for sure. That's, yeah, that's I mean, really honestly, cool. that's what I aspire for my job to do. Yeah. Right? Is I want to find, I want to learn people well enough to know what those little like, kind of like little things here and there that'll put them right into that state. You know, because again, if I can help them do that, and then they go and and they just enjoy the best run they've ever done in their life, then that's what makes me happy. You know, like if they're just you know, that's just the end all be all, you know, like to have that happen. That's this stuff is completely fascinating. I, in, in the same sense, love uh, all this stuff. Are you familiar with an author named Stephen Kotler by any chance? Yes. Yeah. He's like kind of the, he is the kind of pinnacle of study of flow state. Yeah. And he talks about all this stuff and I've read his books and it's, if you're, if you're looking, if you're interested in flow state, look up Stephen Kotler. Read his stuff. It's exactly what uh, James is talking about. But, uh, you know, going back to, like, mountain biking and all these things we do, one thing he said recently on a podcast, I was listening to him, and he said that, like, all these things that we do, be it, you know, mountain biking, skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, you know, things that we become addicted to, they're all almost like just vehicles to get us into flow. Like, really, it's just what we're searching for is the flow. We're not searching for, oh, I need to do, like, what the the thing that keeps keeps bringing us back is the is that flow state um and i don't know what it is by definition i think uh i wish i did but it's it's like when things become autopilot you've done them enough and you're in you know they describe it sometimes as like basketball streak shooting and things like that i'm kind of butchering this but i'm gonna just pass it to you and and let you digest that yeah yeah yeah. i mean that's exactly it i mean honestly it, it doesn't matter what you're doing i mean honestly you could be you could be reading a book about flow state and be in flow state, right? It's the words are just coming at you off the page and you're digesting them and you're understanding and it makes so much sense and it just feels amazing to be reading that and processing it. That's flow state. You know, anything could be flow state. Like, and that's, you know, we're, we're getting really heavy into stuff that I'm really into right now, but like, you know, just, you know, different types of breathing, you know, like is introduction into flow state and that's becoming really popular right now, you know? And so it's just all about, Honestly, it's all about like eliminating as many distractions as you can and just performing what you're trying to do and be in the moment and be there with it and just be fully engaged. You know, right now we have such a hard time, like, you know, I'm going to say it and it's cliche, but we have phones and, you know, everything else that's just like all over the place distracting us and, and, and raising our level of like, you know, stress and everything like that, you know, like that's where even more so flow state is going to become more popular and important because we got to disconnect and then connect into what is real in front of us and what we're doing, you know? And, and that's, it's great to say like anything you do can be flow state, you know? And I, I really want people to realize that. And, you know, I'm kind of talking a little more out of experience than anything else, but it's just like, you know, you got, you gotta, you gotta enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, you, you get there with photography. Anything. Yeah, with anything. Yeah. You really, it's amazing when you're in that mode. You All of a sudden, you're not cold anymore. And yeah. You're just focused. You can't miss a photo. 
you get there with the podcast conversations. Yeah, I mean, I felt like, and then this is a quote I have in my, uh, in my, my little garage right here, but an addiction to distraction is the death of creative production. Oh, and, yeah. uh, if you can, God damn it, it's hard, but if you can avoid those distractions <laughs> and get into the flow, man, that's, that's where it's at writing, art, drawing pictures, you know, shooting photos. It's, it's all there, but it's, it's so, you know, the minute your phone buzzes and you got a notification, boom, you're out of it, you know? And how do you get to that that extreme state of presence? I know we're getting fucking deep and into the weeds. Oh, I love it's this stuff. Shit. We can go so far into this. Like <laughs> this is the stuff now that is like. I mean, I have. I don't. I don't read a lot. I kind of just like it's just it's a little tough for me. But man, do I listen to a lot of books? Yeah. Like I listen to books over and over the same book, and I just really digest it as best I can and stuff like that. And. You know, what we're talking about is, like, the stuff that I've been really into. I mean, I coronavirus, the whole COVID thing. Like, I've used this time to, like, learn as much new things as I possibly can about the human psyche and nutrition and, you know, just everything that will help me do a better job at what I do. Well, That's let's awesome. let's talk about, uh, I know that you eat super clean. <laughs> let's, uh, let's hammer on, you know, in, in your... In your professional opinion, the um, importance of nutrition for an athlete these days. So there's three things. If you want to be an athlete or if you just want to be a good human, there's three things that you need to do. Number one is you got to sleep well. You have to you have to sleep well. That's just, just important for everything that the body and the mind does. And number two is nutrition. Right, that fires all that stuff and makes it work better and work appropriately, and it's a great way to clean the body out and keep us healthy and everything like that. And then the second is just activity, which we're hopefully everybody listening is doing already. Right, you want plenty of activity, and those are the three things to do to be a good human. And nutrition has been something that I've really paid attention to for probably a little more than five or six years, and I've got a really funny story on my first kind of like pathway down the nutrition thing, if you want to hear it. Love to hear it. So we were in New Zealand for a month. You know, we were doing some just Southern Hemisphere riding at Cadrona or whatever. And everybody was, you know, everybody goes down there for that. And I was um, I was out with uh, Louie and Scotty, Louie Vito and Scotty James. And um, at the time... It's not, I don't think they practice it as much, but they have these things called cheat days. And so they're clean. They're really clean eating throughout the whole week. And then Sunday usually is the day is their cheat day and they just go ham, right? They eat whatever they want. It's a lot of chocolate and cookies and, you know, stuff like that. And, and I, and I'll admit for sure, like up until this point, like I was like, I eat dinner, I have a dessert, right? Like that's just how it is. Whether it's like half a pint of ice cream or a lot of cookies or whatever, like I ate a lot of that stuff and I enjoyed it. But something was going on in New Zealand where after I ate stuff like that, like 20 minutes later, I'd have this weird bad taste in my mouth. And it was just kind of like odd. Like I was just like paying attention to my body and going, what the hell does this mean? You know, whatever else. And these guys had this cheap meal and it was, it was pretty full on. Like they had like cakes and cookies and all this stuff. And I was watching them and I just was like so put off by it. Like my, my body was rejecting the whole image of it so much and I really had to think about that. I'm like, why? I eat all this stuff. Like, what's the deal kind of thing? And I, I just made the decision. Like, I've been a guy that can, if I make a decision, I just do it, right? Like, it's just cold turkey, whatever I'm doing, that's the way it is. And I decided, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop all processed sugar, 
Like I'm just going to drop it for a month or two, whatever, whatever it feels like kind of thing. I'm just going to stop, you know, and it was actually kind of easy in New Zealand because you can, you know, the ingredients list on stuff there is way smaller. And so it's easier to figure out what has sugar in it and what doesn't. And honestly, most everything has sugar in it. So actually it was a little tough that way. And I definitely noticed within seven weeks, that's kind of the marker or whatever, that I was like feeling better. And I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, whatever else. But the one thing that hit home for me and then definitely spurred the whole nutrition thing is from traveling, being on planes, different environments, different, you know, elevations and everything, I would get chronic sinus infections when I was younger, like all the time, enough where it was like a belting headache straight across my forehead and it would put me out for the day. I wouldn't be able to do anything, my job, anything I'd like to do or anything. It put me out. And I realized actually after a few months of not having the processed sugar that I didn't have the headaches anymore. I didn't have the inflammation and and the sinus infections at all. And I think it's been five years now and I haven't had a sinus infection since then. And so that literally was just like, all right, Obviously, that's bad for me, so I'm not going to ingest it anymore. And that spurred me onto the whole nutrition thing. It just kind of like somersaulted into everything. And I just really looked into like, okay, if I can make that impact with just simply dropping processed sugar, what else can I do, right? Like, and I went heavy into it. I went into veganism for seven months. And I look at a veganism as basically just cleansing your body of all the stuff that's in there. Whether you need it or don't need it, you're literally just like flushing your body out. And after like seven months, I decided I wanted to reintroduce things and be like, okay, if I'm in this state where I'm definitely like in tune with my body and kind of feeling how things are are working, you know, I'd introduce different things like turkey or you know, whatever else. And I'd be like, cool. I'd go out for like a 30 mile bike ride or go snowboard for four or five hours and be like, how do I feel afterwards? And definitely like some things were definitely a minus. Like I felt like garbage afterwards or even during or whatever. And then sometimes I'd feel really good. And to be honest for my diet, just to kind of like go through the whole thing, like dairy's out, like, you know, processed sugar's out, like the only thing that I reintroduced and actually made a difference for my body and everybody's different. I want that to be very clear. Everybody's going to process this different, the whole thing. The two things that I reintroduced back into my diet and I eat probably once a week, maybe once every other week is um, salmon and eggs. When I was going through the whole process of veganism, it was incredible. I was dreaming about eggs. <laughs> I'd go to the store and I'd see eggs or breakfast burritos and I would like my mouth would inadvertently start drooling you know like it was crazy like how much my body wanted eggs dreaming yeah it was it was nuts it was like totally subconscious like my body was telling me like you want eggs you know like and then the salmon when i would do things i felt a boost right i felt the the positive from that that made a difference in what i want to do so damn that's very well uh articulated and and i love how you're essentially talking about how you're collecting data on yourself, right? You're basically yeah. just like running, okay, this worked, this didn't. Now, now diet is such a it's such a touchy subject because it's like for yeah. some people it's like political beliefs or like, you know, you know, Ju- Judaism versus Christianity versus Islam. You're like you say something you're like, "Well, no, I'm right," which you know, and it's, you know, everybody's got a different opinion on diet. And um I think like you said, like I, I love how you said everybody but it's different. And I noticed that it, my, my belief is that like, you know, a lot of inflammation 
and injuries is correlated with diet, you know, like arthritis and things like that. Do you come from that same school of thought? hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred inflammation is the number one thing, right? It's like, as I learn more and I really am getting into this whole thing, inflammation basically is everything. And that's where the processed sugar comes in, right? Like that's major inflammatory. And that's why my sinus infections went away because they were no more, they were no longer inflamed. And so that's when I'm like, all right, what else is that? You know, and and it's, and again, I can't reiterate enough. Like it's different for everybody. Everybody's, everybody's body and brain processes those things different, you know? And so you have to take the time to get to know what works for you and what doesn't, you know? And so what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you or whatever else. And that's the whole thing, what you brought up. And I, and I, I really want to, drive this home is you got to take the time to like listen to your body right you got to take the time to like stop eating certain things and then see how it feels and how it's treating your body because you don't have to have a doctor tell you that stuff like you can it's your body you're the only one that knows it you can tell him till your face turns blue and he's going to perceive it in a different way you know and so he's not going to fully be able to help you as much as you're able to help yourself you know and so that's what I think is super important is you just like take the time to really feel what helps and, and what doesn't, you know? And, and the thing I do have going for me is I've never been really emotionally attached to food. Right. And I know that's a big deal as people like have that attachment or whatever else I vote food for me is fuel. You know, it, 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 it basically allows me to do the things that I want to do at the most optimal level if I want to do them at. And that's what food is to me. You know, and it's, and it's, you know, I have green tea every single day and I, the only other thing I consume is water, you know, and, and that just wor- works for me, you know, but I've taken time to kind of like go through that process and figure it out. Human optimization over here. Yeah. Well, also the thing that's too, going back that the food is the fuck it for me personally. Like, dude, I can quit booze. I can quit tobacco. Yeah. I can quit chewing right? tobacco. I can quit fucking drugs, dude. I don't need any of that shit. But then, like, sugar? Sugar? (laughs) Dude, that's harder than quitting crack cocaine, dude. It's like, (laughs) it shits everywhere you go, man. You're like, all right, I'm not, like, this is me. This is my shit right here. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do sugar this. I'm taking a month off sugar. Literally, day two, I'm just like, at the checkout, looking at Sour Patch Kids, I'm just like, just all I'm gonna get sugar. those, just, dude, shaking, shaking, <laughs> and, and lips all white, just like, Ooh. totally, and and ultimately, like, it's like, it's good to, I think it's important for people to at least understand the correlation between that because I know it, and I know I'm like, I don't have the self, I, I'm not committed enough to follow through. At times, it comes in waves, but like, much respect to be on that human optimization and be able to 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 do that but you have to kind of like specialize your diet so much but anyway go ahead Sorry. well i mean i was i'm just gonna say that i i have a lot of motivation right because i i like i said like i've said before like what i get to do for a job i feel so fortunate like i'm i feel so lucky to be able to do this and i love what i do i love what i do helping people you know realize their fullest potential you know but I also make sure that I do that by leading by example, right? And that's my motivation, Great you know. Point. I'm never going to tell somebody to do something and do the opposite, you know. It's it, that's a huge thing for me. And so that's that's my motivation, you know. And and right now I I do I use myself as kind of like a tester, you know. Like I'm like, "Hey, like I did this for 6 or 7 months and it made this much of a difference. Like I really suggest that you do that and then talk to them about the ways that that would work for them." 
And so and that just caters to my job, you know, and like, and I, and I appreciate that so much. And that's how it's, it's, I don't want to say easier, but that makes it, 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 that gives me a clear pathway to walk down. This is a perfect segment to take a quick break and talk to you about one of our sponsors. Stony Buds, what are we talking about right now? Let's talk about the Icon Season Pass. They are launching their new season passes for the 21-22 season. Own the season, own the stories, own the stoke. Now, there are more than 40 unique Icon Pass destinations. One of my favorites being Brighton Resort. One of my favorites also, Snowbird. With the exclusive spring savings, including special pricing for the 2021 pass holder renewals, savings on passes for kids, and a new payment plan for how much, buds? $0 down and 0% APR. Right now, take advantage of limited springtime pricing, including the Icon Pass. For how much, buds? $999 is the adult price. That unlocks the most days, the most mountains, and, super important, no blackout dates. They also have the Icon Base Pass. For how much, buds? $729 for adults. That opens up a season of adventure with limited blackout dates. And lastly, they have the Icon Pass 4-Day. How much is that, buds? The adult price is only $399. That allows you to kickstart your ride. Also, you get credits in the event of a COVID-19 closure with the option to defer the value of an unused past. No questions asked. Every moment spent in the mountains is a new opportunity for discovery and connection because as the mountains connect us, these unique communities are what hold us together. Here at the Bomb Wall, we deeply care about communities, huh, buds? Community is all we got. Own the season, own the stories, own the stoke. Discover pass options and claim your moments in the mountains at iconpass.com. One of the key foundations where you're talking about is sleep. What advice do you have for us to get a better <sighs> night's sleep? Because I know, I think he struggles yeah, with I it. I struggle with it. Yeah. yeah. You maybe, maybe I'm, you figured something out that can help viewers that struggle with it or listeners. I'm going to, I'm going to say straight up that I'm still learning, you know, especially about myself. Like I'm testing a whole lot of things on myself and, you know, stuff like that down to like things that are kind of unknown, right? Pistachio. <laughs> Pistachios are inducing for melatonin, you know, like there's stuff like that, you know, kiwi fruit, like, you know, I've been reading about, you know, whatever else, you know, the, the very, you know, the big deal for me, I would say personally, is I need a room to be a certain temperature, you know, if it's, if it's too hot, I'm done, I'm waking up at three in the morning after my body's like processed all the food, and it's just like worked really hard, and I'm sweating, and I'm just irritated, and I'm awake, you know, and so room temperature is huge for me, um, I definitely kind of eliminate as many electronic devices around me as possible, I make the room dark, like really dark as much as I can, um, everybody's got certain, uh, like sleeping positions that work for them. So explore that and figure out what really works for you as well for that. And then the other thing that I would say, if you're into kind of like really diving in and figuring some stuff out, you want to look at what your circadian rhythm is. So that's kind of a, you know, it's, that's, that's the term that they throw around in sleep and everything else, but everybody has a certain rhythm that they actually work with really well and it is, as far as I can understand now, to my limited knowledge that I've provided myself with, is you, everybody has a certain amount of hours that they probably should sleep that's optimized for them. And not only that, but it's so fine-tuned 
that every at the end of your sleep cycle where you should be kind of waking up every 20 minutes, there's an optimal time within those 20 minutes to actually wake up. And if you wake up on the wrong side of the 20 minutes, that can mess your whole day up. Right. So it's, it's all that stuff of like learning what works for you best, you know, but the simple thing is, is like, you know, throw a spider plan in your, in your, in your room closest to your bed, get rid of the electronics, make it dark, make it cold and, you know, try and, ha- again, eliminate distractions and just sleep, you know, like they do definitely say, and I've been trying to practice this and this is hard for all of us, is the whole blue light thing. Like, don't look at your screen, you know, at least an hour or two before you go to sleep or whatever else. Like, that's a big deal as well. Yeah, everyone's doing that. I got dogs jumping on me, then a cat jumping yeah. on me, then my wife gets up and then it's someone's blowing the snow at six in the morning this morning. Tough life in there. And uh, LeBron, I listened to a podcast with him. Number one thing he brought up was the temperature, too. Yeah. I never sh- shit. I don't think about the temperature at all. I but can't now- handle a hot zone to sleep. Oh. Yeah, temperature. I mean, it's all it's all crazy. But the thing is, is I, I want people to hear, too, is, like I said, it's number one important thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's number one. Like, when you're sleeping, your body is going through the process of flushing all the toxins out that you built throughout through the day, which includes your brain, like every negative thought and all the bad stuff that's in there and everything. You're flushing all that stuff out, and it's doing that while you're sleeping. There's optimal time of 11 to 2, basically, for almost everybody, that that's all happening right there, that you need to be doing nothing else. Because no matter what we think, we are incapable of multitasking, and that includes our body. When that when the body is doing those tasks, Tasks of flushing your body out and recorrecting everything and just getting you ready for the next day, other things are shutting down. You know, like literally your heart rate goes slower. Like there's certain things that you're not performing that usually like you and you don't want to add digestion to that, right? That's a huge block for sleep. You know, if you've ate like just before you're trying to go to sleep, then guess what? Your body is digesting and it's not able to do all those other things because it doesn't have the energy to do it, right? Like your your brain alone for the day takes up like 20% of your energy or whatever, you know? And so you have to take those things into fat and to factor and sleep's important and if you're not getting it you're gonna you're gonna downgrade every day like it's just gonna do that and there's no way like you can throw in naps and that helps or whatever else but you have to rely on that sleep like we're designed that way i feel like i'm getting a nice life coach lesson today. <laughs> noted yeah great noted put more put more attention on sleep i got it i got a that bookmarked in my mental notes right now i love that um now we've been talking a lot about snowboard coaching and optimization and you've recently kind of moved into all of action sports. I know you did Elliot Sloan, who's a skateboarder, um, Carson Storch, who's a mountain biker, and Tyler Bierman, who's been on this podcast. You helped him out at X. Uh, You want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, uh, especially Tyler, like Carson... I'll start out with Carson. Like Carson, I've been with since he was a kid. You know, he used to actually come in the snowboard shop because he snowboarded. And he always asked me, like, what do you think I should do for this sponsor? How do you think I should do this? And I always loved helping him because he was such a nice kid and whatever. And that just really developed into mountain biking. And I'm nowhere near the level of, like, those guys. Like, you know, I love it a lot and whatever. But it's it's not, like, I can't break it down as well as I can snowboarding, you know. Like, I was into snowboarding, so I really was able to, like... You know, that's where my title comes in, where it's mindset and performance. You know, I could break down the performance of snowboarding or whatever for mountain biking and then moto and skate and everything else that I kind of dive into. It's all mindset, you know, and with those guys, 
you know, and especially Carson, it's just putting him in the right position to make the best possible like choice and pick a line down, you know, whatever. Or, and then, you know, with Tyler, Tyler was super interesting because he's, he's an amazing kid. Like, I love that guy so much. Like he's got such a great personality and, you know, he's got a great family and everything about him is just like in the right spot and in his style alone, like, you know, what, what he does, I feel like just oozes style. And that's what I really appreciate and what kind of drew me to working with him. But I had like a week and a half to kind of like meet him, get to know him and work with him before X games, before, you know, after him coming back from a major injury and it being coming back to X games. And it was, it was, it was weird. I almost didn't agree to doing it because my whole forte is I got to spend a year with somebody, you know, to get to know their ins and outs and figure that what makes them tick and, you know, how I can work with what or what not or another. And, and, and with Tyler, I was just like, look, man, okay, we're going to dive hard into this and it's going to be abrasive on you mentally. And you just tell me if it becomes too much, but I'm going to do as much as I can within this week and a half time period to get you sorted out and, and whatever. And so I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have a superpower, but if I were to say I was, it is to look inside somebody's brain and, and see what they're thinking, you know, without them telling me. And I have to rely on that a lot because not people have a hard time divulging like, stuff that makes them uncomfortable to talk about or whatever. And so what I do honestly is I'll pick those up without him telling me and I'll represent them back to him in a way that he can kind of like accept it. And I'll be like, we need to correct this, you know, like we need to do this because this is what is going on in your head and it's not working and it's actually going to make things worse for you down the line. So I had to like straight dive into that and just cross my fingers going, I really hope you take this the right way, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's tough, you know? And so that was an amazing experience because he ended up, I think he got gold in whip and I think he got silver in quarter. And it was, I, it was in, it was intense because it was such a short amount of time. I almost threw up after that contest after quarter. Cause I was like, I'd look at him on the sidelines and I'd, kind of like do hand gestures of what to do and I'm like if I get this wrong and he doesn't accept this wrong he's gonna die like these guys are so high up in the air and Mm. such a like minute possibility of actually getting it right I was just like my nerves were shot after that but it was again they were so shot that it was like an, um, an invaluable experience for me and I hope him of learning you know what works and what doesn't Truly are the uh, athlete whisperer. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like when you see the guy, the dog whisperer, you see him, he does the things with the dogs, and all of a sudden they behave. You're like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> yeah. He's doing the same he, he's thing. He's doing it to Tyler. He's doing it to Deerman right before the quarter fight. <laughs> and getting in their head, and it's working. And it looks, you know, that's what the dog whisperer does. <laughs> yeah. And the dog's all of a sudden perfectly behaved. <laughs> Tyler's doing a perfect whip. Okay, I'm going to take a quick second and talk to you guys about our sponsor, Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza. Now, uh, earlier today, before we started recording, I just hammered a mini pepperoni pizza. Uh, I was hungry, got off the hill, it hit the spot. Now, all of their products are 100% all natural, no artificial anything. No jokes, the pizza bites are incredibly tasty, those garlic jump-offs. Couldn't recommend them enough. They support us, you should support them. Follow them on Instagram, at Wild Mike's Pizza. They are always doing cool giveaways. Uh, Okay, let's get back to the show. All right, one thing I would love to talk to you about is this uh, competitive snowboard scene. Now, 
at the top, you know, me and Buds come from the world of we're in these streets. In the we're strats. We're, yeah. we're filming. We're, you know, working on video projects. We're not in this competitive world of, you know, Team China and all these different countries that have their coats like a tennis coach or something. And they yeah. and there's this really serious vibe at the top where their, their athletes need to perform at an extremely high level. And uh, just totally unfamiliar world for Buds and I. But um, one thing you're talking about is you maybe like there was a little bit of Spygate going on, or there's the people looking over your shoulders <laughs> trying to trying to get an edge up on each other. Let's let's talk Peeping about that. your tapes out there, man. Oh uh, yeah, I mean this is this is comedy to me, and uh, it's funny because it, basically, you know, my compadre at that, especially when we're with Scotty, is is Scotty's brother Sean, and um, he's doing all the filming and you know everything like that, and. It's one of us that's catching, you know, one of the other like national teams, like literally either videoing Scotty or videoing me, what I'm doing and taking all these notes and, you know, whatever. And, and we just chalk it up to like, look, if, if, if we're at that level, then, you know, everybody's got to take note, right? They, they have to start emulating what's going on. And so it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's good. It's going that way. So, but it is kind of weird (laughs) for sure. It's super weird, and I want to be really defensive when it's happening. I'm just like, whoa, get off me. But I'm just like, you know what? It's going to happen one way or another. So It's a compliment, huh? Yeah. Well, I think you at least, you know, you had your shop, and you've been in this, you were a high cascade on-hill manager for a long time. You you have a grasp on snowboard culture, mm. right? And And like kind of maybe more than just this little aspect of it. But I feel like some of the people there, the only thing they know is like, quad cork or you know or whatever that's maybe i'm wrong but um there is there is that aspect i mean and i say that very reluctantly because it's one thing that honestly kind of like guts me a little bit like it kind of tears my soul out is like you know and especially like in half pipe right now like you know the triple is being thrown around a lot and if and when that happens it's going to be a piece of me is going to die you know because it's just it's just there's so many tricks left out on the table and there's so much like style and there's so many things that are just left there. And it seems like in whether it be half pipe or slope style that if you've got a calculator and you can add up the numbers of how many spins are doing and your number comes up top, then you're winning. And I hate that because literally it's just like, I'm really reluctant to say other sports, but those, there's there's sports that are dead now because of that. You know, they lost the culture of themselves because they just added numbers to it, and and nobody likes to watch that. I mean, at a certain point in this in a very recent contest, you can't even tell what's going on. I had so much fun watching girls big air at X Games this year. Like that to me was like those girls are are giving at them all and they're they're doing so well and the spins are are bigger now you know but they're not so much that you can't comprehend what's going on you know and you can see them like piecing it together and feeling it and everything else and that, that was really fun to watch you know but as we get into the the higher spins and more of that stuff man it's so lost and and you know you, some people can argue that as, as they get used to those spins you know you can add style and it gets more comfortable and you can make it slower or whatever else and that's true but at a certain point like i said when you're when you're leaving other tricks on the table and you're leaving out style and 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 
I guarantee most of that crap doesn't feel good, then you're really missing the point of snowboarding, you know? Mm-hmm. So Facts right there. Uh, what do you think, uh, moving forward, is there a solution to preserve the style as things get bigger and crazier and more rotations? It's... There is solutions. There's solutions. It's it's if people want to make the concessions to, you know, to do it, right? Because you, you essentially you have to kind of forego dead straight first place like every time if you want to make that point and you want to kind of control like the progression of the sport, you know? You have to, you have to give way to like your complete desire to just win in order to redirect where things are going, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. It's hard to do, right? Like that's a double-edged sword for sure, you know, and, um, one person I can say, you know, that's in, I can, I confidently say is not in competitive snowboarding anymore. And and we definitely, and I miss him personally very much, but and has, has done that as Danny Davis, right? Like he, that was like, he, every time where he would, you know, do three different runs in X Games and every single one of them was different from the other one and he didn't even practice those runs together. Like, that was so impressive to me that he would just put that together and do that. And 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 occasionally what the great thing was is the judges rewarded him for that, you know, and I commend them for that as well. Like, I really was just like, holy shit, that's awesome. Thank you, snowboard, thanks you. And, you know, and that was definitely, you know, echoed throughout snowboarding. People thanked for that, you know, whenever. And we just need more of that, you know. Like, we need more people willing to go, like, I don't really care if I win or not, you know, and Danny didn't feel like that, you know. But he still was just like, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it for me and not the score or the medal or the whatever. And that's what really needs to happen more, you know, is like the riders need to just be like, I'm doing this for me. And I, you know, I hope to God I get, I get rewarded well for it because it's a contest and that's the epitome of a contest, but still, you know, just do it and have fun and make it look good. I I have a solution. I think that could be tangible. That's not necessary. <laughs> that's not necessarily like I'm forfeiting. It's, it, you know, I think that they could change the judging in the sense that, like, you know, first uh, the first thought for me came with bigger, where you say, okay, you have one big trick and one under 900 or under 720, and they're both scored of equal value. So, you know, in in some senses. So, you, or maybe three jumps. Maybe you have three jumps, but you have to have one that's under 900, and it's scored of equal value of your psycho shit, right? And in half pipe, you know, what if the, I mean, this is just me, hasn't, put a lot of thought into this, but let's just say in a run, for example, you put as, you know, you have to have a mandatory straight air. Is that still a thing? That used to be a thing. No. So mandatory straight air, like it used to. And then you have, you know, maybe mandatory one trick under a 720 that is scored as equally value as your big tricks in some senses. And I don't know how you adjust this. And maybe this is a fallacy and and naive in some senses, but you know, really it's just a a, like why is Danny Davis's run so sick because his fakey method too like you you could put the 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 emphasis on the switch method or the fakey method or whatever it is and and score that we say hey we're putting a lot of value on progression of a straight straight air on a progress and under a 900 we're going to score those of a lot of value then go do your 14 to 16 to 12 you know I don't know maybe that's a naive thought what do you think um I think I'm not going to get into this with you and that you, <laughs> you definitely, your next guest or somewhere down the line should be a judge. 
Yeah. Cause I would love to hear that, that podcast. Like seriously, like, cause I try and get into those guys' minds just by the way they are judging things from contest to contest to run to run. And it's like, blows me away. You know, there's, there's sometimes there's continuity. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason or whatever, you know, and I would love to hear, and, and reluctantly, it's not just one, but, you know, a couple of, like, the major ones, whatever. It would be nice to hear, like, what they are thinking, you know, because, again, it is easier. I mean, I literally heard a judge one time at a, at a meeting go, well, I just like the bigger spins because it's easier. I can just say, like, well, that was an 18 and it beats a 16. And I literally... I don't want to say I wanted to punch him in the throat, but <laughs> I throat punch, definitely huh? <laughs> was very sad by that statement. I was just That's horrible so for put the off. culture of snowboarding. Yeah, it just killed me. Like, Chris, I thought you were going to say steroids was the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I have another take. I have another take I like to talk about on this podcast. I think steroids should be mandatory in competitive. That's where I thought you were. I going think every, with the everybody last should thing. have to do to do them just to see just to see where it goes, you know? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Um Man, I don't even take aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> Not even aspirin. I mean, you think eating good a good diet is good. Let's get all these guys on some HGH yeah. doing quad corks. They just have huge heads. <laughs> just, Throats are just... <laughs> just looking like freaking, you know, Rob Gronkowski out there. Just doing big old oh. switch McTwist. Then we'll see some real moves. See how, <laughs> how fast this board can spin. Right. Well, you, if you do, I've gone inside the booth and looked at these events. And if you, the, you what you do is you write down, you write down your yeah. what trick they did, right? So when you like what you're saying at the end of a run, you see okay, sixteen, eighteen, fifteen, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, when I look at my notes, this one's the best. Right. It wins. And it that's wins. Horrible. But the, and that's new. There's no nuance, right? Like there's so many things that go into a run. Like I'm going to tell you guys one thing, and the, and the viewers, like I have absolutely terrible vision. Like, I have such bad vision, and I don't wear contacts, and I rarely wear glasses when I'm, like, doing my job. But what I rely on is the nuances, right? Like, I see, like, little things. It's it's not the details, but I see, like, little things that I, that I think are style and whatever else that I pick out, and that's how I do things. And that's, and that's a lot of what's being missed, right? Like, you're just reading those numbers, and you're looking at that and whatever. But, like, I mean, where did he grab? How did he grab? How long did he grab for? Like, did he enjoy while he was grabbing? You know, like, all those things are completely missed on the second takeout, you know, like, and while they're going over that stuff. So it's just, it's getting it's getting a little hectic. I like how you said if, if the judge wants to go ride, like, if you're yeah. able to get that feeling. I like how you said that, because that, to me, would be a win. You know, if you can get people just... I want to go shred after that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, just that's full that's, inspiration. I wish the judges would think about mm-hmm. that. That's yeah. great. You, you know who, this is a controversial one, and fuck it. I mean, I got no dog in the fight here, so I'll just speak off the cuff. But I know that the um, Dusty Hendrickson, he won slope style, and I've heard from some people that, it, you know, trick for trick, his run was maybe not as as crazy as some of the other ones. But the effect that that had on me because of his kind of like, I don't want to say cockiness, but his his swagger is like the way he was doing his stuff. It had the effect. It the effect of it had the effect of making me want to go ride. Yeah, know? and that's a win. And, right and there. Um, but yeah, it is. Then it's just a strange. You know, it's you're judging something that is completely subjective. And 
you know. I mean, the one thing I can definitely say to that, too, is, like, if you take, like, due to or X Games, even the Olympics, you know, the big televised, like, to-the-mass public kind of events, if they took more of that into factor, right, and then they would, then we would be doing a lot better, right? Like, mm-hmm. everything, the viewership would be up, like, people would be, you know, way more stoked to watch it, you know, if we just took into more of that, like, it's not about, like, I mean, how many times can they spin or whatever else, but, like, how fun did they make that look, like, and really like hone on in that because I, I don't care what anybody says that kind of stuff, you know, whether it be the director of ESPN or whatever else, like that stuff affects the outcome mm-hmm. and that's as controversial as I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do other coaches lead by example like you? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say a lot of them probably don't, but I, I have no idea either. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I like it when you when you lead by example, your guys will follow you into battle. You know that's a, yeah, that's true, hundred uh, percent. I mean, yeah. Why would I? Ex- yeah, it just you have to. You can't. You have to do that. I got one more Patreon question, and Let's I think it. this guy probably wrote to stoke you out. Maybe let's see. I don't know. This is from uh, Nathan Pasquale. Professional athletes in general are extending their careers well into their thirties. Shout out to Tom fucking Brady. Let's give him a little air horn. Yeah. But as a 31-year-old dropping bomb holes left and right, do you have some insight into being in your 30s and not letting old head disease get to you, partic- particularly with strength in your legs and feet? I mean, that's pretty easy. We've touched on a lot of that. Yeah. And I could go on for hours, right? Like, I would have to ask this guy, like, all right, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? What are you doing off hill? You know, like, whatever else. Like, how many compromises are you making to not be able to do what you want to do, you know, and that's just the bottom line is like, what are you doing otherwise that you can't accomplish what you want to do? So as you get older, you just really got to fine tune the chassis. You got and, to. And really. Dude, Tonino. Uh, so Tonino, who's your boy yeah. and my boy, all, all of our boys. He's the man. Let's give him an air horn. And uh, Tonino, we, I work out with him every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and he's 46 years old and he looks like fucking a gladiator. Okay. And 300 squad. Straight yeah. up. And I, he was driving me to the airport the other day, and I said he had, I might be wrong with this number, but he's probably, he's going to be pissed that I'm talking about this because he <laughs> hates it. But, you know, you're getting thrown out of the bus right now. You shouldn't I think, have bulge. I, I think he deadlifted, or no, he squatted just under 400 pounds. I think Jeez, it was like three, three sixty something or whatever. I don't remember what the number was, but it was a shit, it was a large amount of weight to squat and i was like dude you're 46 years old how do you how do you do this and he said he's like well what i'm doing right now is setting myself up for my 50s he's like what i do now is setting myself up for my 50s and 60s so in that old head disease i love the fact that like if you if you whatever you're whatever you did in you know maybe your late 20s setting you up for your mid mid 30s so if you can reframe in the fact that like oh, okay i'm 31 like he said like the things that you're doing now are going to set you up for when you're 41 and yes. if you can think about it like that, then the compound interest, it's, it's a little bit more motivation for me, at least, uh, hearing, you know, Tino still making progress at age 46. When he was up at Brighton today, right? Yeah, he was up at How Brighton. How was he looking on the hill? Uh, dude, the lift still line was so long. Was he, so I didn't long ride with him. He, he was just walking by the mile-long <laughs> lift line today. Right. But I'm sure he was ripping. I'm sure he still got it. Yeah, for sure. You have He's anything to add? Dead lifting 300 pounds. The compound interest there? You know, I'm... 
I feel like I know Tonino pretty well. You know, we've spent a lot, a lot of time together, especially at his house. And um, Tonino has dealt with some injuries and just different things. And and the great thing watching him, and I've always been so stoked that he's made these decisions, is he's identified the things that he is, you know, not super stoked on with himself, and he's made those changes. You know, and he's, and they they take long time, right? And especially some of the stuff that he's had to deal with, it takes a long time to kind of make that change. But all you have to do is wake up and put one foot in front of the other and just go, you know, like it's just simple as that. And you make it as hard as you want to as the energy comes and, you know, you dull it back as it kind of goes away. But you always put one foot in front of the other moving in a forward progressive space. Man, beautiful. I think we did it. What do you think, bud? Dude, I want to. I want to all of a sudden make some serious changes here, man. I'm going to deadlift Tinino next. I want to start taking steroids. That's yeah, the effect this had on me. I think that's what we're going to have to do. Steroids. Can we just that's skip the, the line and take steroids? We actually, we don't even need to have this podcast. Just steroids. Steroids. <laughs> we can skip. We just cut the whole thing. It'll be a three-second podcast. Steroids. Okay. I love it. Uh, you got anybody you want to thank uh, before we wrap this thing up and get out of here? Um... Yeah, I mean, obviously, my my mom and my dad, those guys were the best, and they allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do. And, um, you know, everybody that I've been able to work with, I like to really think, you know, that everything that I've taught them, they've taught me. You know, I have this, like, saying, I think it goes, like, when you teach, you have the ability to learn. When you learn, you have the ability to teach, Right. Like, and it's just such a simple thing. And, and I'd like to tell all you guys, you know, it's there. I feel like there's a, so many that everything I've taught you, you've taught me. So great words of wisdom. Add that to the long list of wisdom mm-hmm. learned in this podcast. We want to thank you guys for listening, watching. We really appreciate you guys. And we will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.